One of the things that I've come to believe is that the unknown scares a lot of people and the unknown does not build trust. It tends to take trust away. And so if we're not checking in regularly with people who work for us, they may start wondering. And generally, most people will fill in the unknown or the uncertain with stories that aren't really the best stories and usually are wrong. And so checking in and being really straightforward and honest in a caring and loving way, but still honest is the best way to build trust. That's our topic today. We're talking about growing trust. It's one of the wake up eager habits. And I'm interviewing Roger Price, who is the founder of an organization in West Michigan called Leading by Design. It is a meaningful interview, and I can't wait to share it with you. Michael, hit it. Welcome to the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast, a show designed for leaders, trainers, and consultants who are responsible for employee selection and professional development. Each episode is packed full with insider tips, best practices, expert interviews, and inspiration. Please welcome the host who is helping leaders, trainers, and consultants everywhere, Susie Price. Good morning. This is Susie Price of Priceless Professional Development and the Wake Up Eager Workforce podcast, where we focus on helping senior leaders build an energetic, committed, drama-free Wake Up Eager Workforce. And we do that through our hiring science, our assessment using Trimetrics, through coaching and training leaders, and through team building. And it's so good to talk to you this morning. Today is my birthday, and I say that 54 is the new 34. So I can't believe I just shared my age on this podcast, but I do feel like I'm 34, so I guess that's okay. <laughs> Life is good. And if you're younger than me and you're wondering how it feels to get older, just just know that it can just get better and better and better and more fulfilling and, and richer. It, it can be an enlivening experience to pass through time and to build a life that is one where you are waking up eager and you are feeling comfortable in your skin and you love what you do and you love the people around you, um, that is a possibility. And that's what we talk about in regard to work. And we use tools and science and listening and caring about others to influence that as much as we can. What I most care about and um, just drives me is just to help other people get to where they want to go. I want to get to where I want to go. And then I just want to also, if anybody's coming through me or around me, to be a facilitator of that kind of good, not try to pull people along or not try to take people where they don't want to go, but to um, just be me and learn and share and help people, you know, shine a light into what's next. And what we're talking about today in this series right now on the podcast is we've been focusing on the wake up eager habits and they're habits that I believe help leaders and what I understand and see help leaders be effective leaders. So they are also, you as a leader are being a wake up eager leader. You are shining a light to help people for their next steps. You don't take them all the way. They take themselves all the way. What you do is maybe shine a light for them for their next steps. And so those wake up eager habits spell out the word eager, the acronym E-A-G-E-R. And I'll just list the five habits quickly. E, enter the zone. A, activate greatness. G, grow trust. E, evaluate job fit. 
are Recalibrate Daily. And today we're talking about growing trust and how important that is on a team and how important that is the third habit in this series. And I'm interviewing Roger Price, as I mentioned, who is the founder of Leading by Design. And the things that we're going to talk about today, it was an awesome interview. He is very heartfelt and very practical all together in one wonderful, caring package and very smart around business and people. And the things that we're going to talk about today, we're going to talk about, he talks about the three things that leaders need to do to grow trust. We discuss the five fingers of trust. So these are the five elements and they make so much sense. It's a, I'm going to be borrowing it from Roger, and I'll always give attribution to him. But it's using your fingers. There's five areas that are made up of trust, and, and they make so much sense. And, and each finger represents one area of trust. It's a great memory tool and a great reminder of what is needed in trust and the power of trust. We talk about how fear can get in the way and what is what is the bridge? What can leaders do when we think I don't know want to do the things that require building trust because that sometimes means being more open or being a little bit more vulnerable or a little more humble. You know, what does it take to overcome some of that fear or hesitation to do some of those things? And then I like that Roger shares a five step process that he calls leaning into healthy conflict. Everything that he shares is well thought out. He, he talks about himself as being a thinker, and he definitely is. I mean, he's really thought through what he's doing and the work he's doing with leaders. And so I'm just so happy to share his work with you today. I want to give you a little bit about his background. He's the owner and founder of Leading by Design, which I mentioned, and a link to his um, website is mentioned in the podcast, and we'll also have it in the show notes. And he is one part engineer and one part businessman and many parts coach and teacher. And you will hear every bit of that in our discussion. He did uh, about a decade as being a mechanical engineer for developing automotive parts and products. And then he moved into organizational and people development. He spent 20 years in the executive development arena with uh, large companies and then he started his business, Leading by Design, in Western Michigan in, I believe, 2014. So you're going to uh, enjoy this discussion. This is episode number 49. It is about growing trust. And the show notes for this episode are at pricelessprofessional.com forward slash grow trust. All one word, lowercase. Pricelessprofessional.com forward slash grow trust. All right, let's get to the interview. Welcome, Roger. How are you today? I'm very well, Susie. Thank you. How are you? So glad to have you on the call. I'm great because you're on the call. Um, <laughs> and we're just going to jump right in. Our topic today is about growing trust. And we'll just hit the big question, which is why should leaders care about growing trust? Why does this matter? Yeah, well, well teams and people that trust each other produce more results, uh, they produce more efficiently, they produce more effectively, and they also have uh, basically richer lives that when you have trusting relationships, it enriches your own life as well as theirs. So those are some pretty big reasons to work on trust. Yeah. To me, the biggest one is, okay, I have a richer, fuller, better life. 
I'm surrounded by people I work with and live with that I trust. And then also parallel the results. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I should warn you and your listeners that I'm a recovering engineer. So (laughs) the the result (laughs) thing is also really important (laughs) for me, but part of the recovering part is learning how to make sure relationships are wonderful because that really is ultimately in the end what matters. And so, yeah. so the richer life, I agree with you, is the most important uh, outcome. Yeah, they're parallel, right? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, recovering engineer, did you <laughs> did you find it difficult to figure out or prioritize trust? I mean, your nature is very kind and thoughtful, so I'm not thinking that growing trust was a low priority for you any time in your career. No, it was always a high priority, but I was very blind to how I would come across. Uh, after after many years of you know education and training as an engineer and then a dozen years working as an engineer we engineers don't always understand how how cold and hard we can come across and so i don't think my heart ever significantly changed but understanding how i was coming across that's part of the recovering part and it's it's uh it's still going on it's been 24 years since i've been an engineer but um the engineer is still in there <laughs> So the engineer training is get get all the facts, be very practical, be very objective. Is that what you mean when you say yeah. cold and hard? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and find the right answers, and there is a right answer, and so there's a lot of argumentative. That I think lawyers are taught to argue to find the truth, and and in a different way, but maybe in a similar feel, engineers are taught to argue also that we don't get offended. When someone brings out some facts that, you know, conflict with what I'm trying to say. And, but when you get into the world of non, <laughs> non battling lawyers or engineers or some others, it's like you can really offend people along the way and have no clue that you're doing it. So that's, that's been a big piece of my learning and building of trust with others is to uh-huh. understand there's yeah. many different ways to look at so many things. Not everything yeah. is scientifically provable. And uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, and that could be a big hindrance to trust is this, I've got the truth. No, I've got the truth. Okay, now we're going to exactly. battle over the truth, right? <laughs> yeah. well, Which is yeah. okay to have the battle, but I guess if the trust part, if you're if you're having the battle and at the cost of trust, then that could be a problem. Yeah, so absolutely. talk about what leaders and coaches can do to grow trust as they're leading, well, as they're coaching. Yeah, so mainly... Well, there's there's several things, but checking in with people regularly, and I see this as being somewhat rare out there in the businesses that I work with, that everyone's so busy that it's hard to just check in with people and then to really just listen to them, not only about their life itself, not for too long, but but to hear about the weekend and to hear about their family builds trust, but then also to listen to them. What are they struggling with? What could they use help with? And just show that you care uh, and that you're there to try to help them do their work well, that that will, that will build trust. Uh, it's important to be transparent, as transparent as you can be. And sometimes a leader or a coach can't be fully transparent because there's some things that wouldn't be appropriate to share. But to share as much as you can and to have a spirit of not withholding or holding your cards close to your chest, I think is a really important piece. So one of the things that I've come to believe is that the unknown 
scares a lot of people. And the unknown does not build trust. It tends to take trust away. And so if, if we're not checking in regularly, people that work for me or people that I'm coaching or what they, they may start wondering what's going on. What's he thinking about? Is this about to happen? And generally most people will fill the unknown or the uncertain with stories that aren't really the best stories and usually are wrong. And so checking in and just being really straightforward and honest in a, I'd like to say in a caring and loving way, but still honest is the best way to build trust. And so even if I'm sharing some things that they may not like to hear, they know where I'm coming from and they may disagree with it, but they at least know that's what I'm thinking. And so the unknown doesn't get a chance to start to chip away at our trusting relationship. And also I need to make sure that I'm really clear with them, straightforward with them about what I love, what I what I love that they're doing. And so can't take things for granted. I have to highlight those and then also share, here's a concern or here's what you might think about doing differently. So I think that's really important to build trust. I love that you use the word love. Yeah, well, ultimately through my point of view, this life is about love. <laughs> and especially if you want to lead, it's really about love. And uh, there's also truth that comes with love. But ultimately, I can't be really loving with someone if I'm not also transparent and truthful with them. And so this truth and love thing is a really big deal for me. Probably two of my nice. highest values. Uh, nice. So say more about that if somebody's listening and saying, okay, love, I've got to love this person. Yeah, basically the, the best leaders, I, I do subscribe to the servant leadership model. And that is that uh, there's a lot of nice benefits that can come to a leader for being a leader, but by and large, there's more sacrifice involved than benefits. And so caring about the other first, more than myself, before myself, not that I'm selfless, but caring about those that work for me and, and really loving them and asking myself, what do they need and how can I best give them what they need? And sometimes <laughs> that's a kick in the pants. <laughs> and sometimes, yeah, that's a yeah. shoulder, that, sometimes it's a shoulder to cry on. Um, but to put loving them and caring about them first before worrying about the results they're going to produce and, and my needs in this uh, relationship is really huge. And in the coaching uh, business that I have, uh, there's five of us in our little group. And we we talk about, uh, we don't necessarily share this openly when we're selling, but behind behind the veil, behind the curtain, we'll say our job is to love them into their design. Mm. And so my company is leading by design with the idea that everybody has this really unique design, but most people don't understand what it is. And so it's often kind of painful to understand what's inside you, the good, the bad, and sometimes the ugly, and, and what's, what is there as sort of a design and what's there is just kind of how I've messed things up. And so love can be a really powerful way to help people start to see themselves clearly and honestly so that they can then start to figure out how to lead their life and live their life according to their design. And I happen to believe in a designer, but we work with all kinds of people that do not believe in a designer, which is fine. But I would still argue that whether it's through random chance or through intentionality, there is a design in each person. 
Yeah, love that. We talk about uh, activating greatness. So in the Wake Up Eager, it's, uh, you know, activate greatness. And it's about the same thing, you know, look for their good, see their strengths. And I don't always use the word love, but maybe I should because I like when you use it. It feels right. Some people probably it's a little too out there. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've chosen to use it. And if it repels some people, I'll just I'll just be okay with that. But there are a lot of people that are drawn drawn to that word. Yes. You know, I think about when I get on a coaching call and I have someone's trimetrics assessment in front of me, I'm looking at it and I'm listening to them. And in the moment, I am feeling great appreciation for who they are, who they can be, you know, listening intently to what they say they want. And if that's not love, I mean, that's love. I mean, that's what you want from a coach, right? Amen. Or a leader. Absolutely. Also be willing to ask the really tough question that most people Mm -hmm. aren't willing to ask is an act of love. We often talk with the leaders that we're working with. And and one of my beliefs is that if there's someone working for you, that as you've gotten to know them and love them, you realize they should not be working for me. In fact, maybe they shouldn't even be working in our organization. That it's an incredible act of love to release them. And they often won't receive it well at all. But there's too many people that are working in jobs that they're not good at and that don't bring them joy, but they don't, they're not clear enough about that to recognize it and or they don't have enough courage to fire themselves. Yeah. And so it's an incredible act of love when a leader sees that, believes that, has the conversations along the way, but eventually says, I need, I need to move you on for the sake of our organization, but also for the sake of you. And then be willing to accept the venom that that may come yeah. back, or the love, or the love that may come back. But that is yeah. that's one of the greatest acts of love, I think, that leaders, great leaders, do. Yeah. And if you come from that place, and maybe you don't use the word love, you know, if somebody's listening and they don't feel comfortable with that word, but if you come from a place of appreciation of the human in front of you, to me, it gets easier to tell the truth. Yes. I think it's exactly. harder to tell the truth when you're already in a huge battle or you in your heart you're just angry then you know there's no no chance that the truth is going to serve I mean make a, a positive difference somewhere down the road. Right. Yeah, the truth may yeah. come out but it but usually it'll come out in a toxic kind of way. Yeah. Instead of mm-hmm. in a loving kind of way. And if if people are hearing this word love and they they'd rather not use that, so when it feels like someone's not going to be able to handle that word well, then what I use is care, that I care mm-hmm. for you, and mm-hmm. um, and like you said, I appreciate you. Yeah. So how do leaders get to that place when they're so busy? As you mentioned, it's the checking in, and sometimes we can't even check in. So if I can't even check in, and I know I need to do that. You know, that's a big question, but what are some of your thoughts around that? It's like, okay, I am overwhelmed. I've got such a full plate. Um, I want to care, but I can't even, like, I don't know whether I'm coming or going. What do you say to somebody who's in that situation? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> and there would be some really deep uh, conversations that go on, but ultimately a belief I have is that you have a lot of choice around if you're too busy and you you may be thinking you don't have choice that someone's telling you have to get these things done 
And you have a choice. You have a choice of how to live your life. And when we were to look, if we were to look at your design and if, if accomplishment is a huge piece of your design, then you might get fooled into thinking you've got to be working, you know, 20 hours a day because that's what it seems like is going to give you more accomplishment. But I personally believe that if you create some margin in your life, even though it's really hard to do that, there's two things that will help you accomplish more than if you didn't have those those spaces in your life. One is your relationships will be richer. And when your relationships are richer, people will do things. People will give you discretionary effort that they won't if you don't have a good relationship with them. And secondly, at least in my case, and I believe this is true of just about everybody, I make poorer decisions when I'm too mm. busy. Yep. And so if I make better decisions, maybe even just 10% better, and the people that I'm counting on to help me achieve whatever it is we're trying to accomplish, that we have better relationships, I think you accomplish more. And so generally what I'd say is if you feel like you don't have time to check in with people, you are the problem. <laughs> not, <laughs> yeah. not Look in not the mirror. <laughs> exactly. And, and you may feel like, no, but my boss is making me do this. And if that's true, if your boss expects you to work so where you can't have any margin, well, I would say, well, you do have a choice. This last I've learned, there's no slavery in, yeah. in uh, the U.S. Right. You have a choice to find a role, find people to work with and work for that have some similar values that says we are about accomplishing. It's not that I'm trying to reduce the accomplishment. It's that I think you accomplish more when you make better decisions and have better relationships. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So Talk a little bit about, and you work with many leaders, and tell me what your mission is in West Michigan. It's to make West Michigan the, how do you say it? Yeah, so I'm still trying to figure out a way to say this, and I hope this doesn't come across as arrogant. But I have experienced, and I'm not from West Michigan initially, originally, but I have experienced West Michigan to be a really unique place where uh, there's a lot of faith base here. and. Um, I would call, I think some faith, some religious practices are kind of toxic and kind of not kind of not that loving. But here in West Michigan, there's a lot of people that just really want to care for others and live an amazing life. And so I've run into so many of these people and many have started amazing businesses and um, left all kinds of money to the to the uh, community. And so I came to believe that we should be what Silicon Valley is to technology. We should be that to leadership, at least the kind of leadership that you're hearing me talk about. And so at the age of 57, I started feeling like I never really wanted to start my own business. I like working for other people. Um, but I started to feel like someone's got to name this and go after it. And I want to give the rest of my career then until I'm 70 as helping West Michigan live into our design, which I think is to be, we, uh, there's many studies that show regions in the country that have philanthropy. And every time I've heard of one of these studies, West Michigan comes up as number two. And wow, Salt Lake City really? is, num is number How one. How cool is so that? It's so cool. And to an engineer where, uh, you know, the data is needed. <laughs> I'm not just saying <laughs> yeah, this We need the data, yes. I I think the data is there, my experiential data, as well as this data where we're just a very giving community. 
And so I just felt like there's so many things we could do better at to be amazing leaders. And I want to give the rest of my career to that. And so our purpose at Leading by Design is to help that become a reality. And I'm still trying to figure out how to name it better than what Silicon Valley is to technology. We will be to leadership. But right now, that's how I, how I name it. And then the vision is that uh, we have a, yeah, thanks. Thanks. It's just Silicon Valley has some other baggage with it too, that maybe I don't want to, yeah. <laughs> to bring into I the picture. See. Yeah. But so that's the reason we exist. The vision is that by the time I am 70, we'll have a thousand leaders go through our year long leader development program, which is pretty intense. And we get a lot of comments about how life changing it is. And so we're well on our way. We're we're right on track. Because I'm an engineer, I have an Excel spreadsheet of how many people <laughs> per year, yeah. you know, for me to hit it by the time I'm 70, which is in the year 2027. So, so okay. we're right on track for that. So as you think about the people who you're working with and your organization is working with and you're thinking about someone in mind that you have that struggled with the idea of trust, and care and how do I, that trust matters on the team and it's going to help me get results and create better relationships. Uh, tell us a little bit about that story and what was getting in that person's way. How, what did they do more of, less of? Just kind of paint a picture for us of somebody who's gotten better at growing trust as they've yeah. grown their leadership. You know, I, I, there's, not, there's not one person that comes to mind when I think of that, but there's there's several examples that have created a pattern that I've seen when, when we, so we've had over 200 people in our program up to this point and, and we really dive into trust, uh, into trust pretty deeply. And so what we see is some people's eyes are opened where they, they felt like information is power and never let them see a sweat kind of, which is a, a really old leadership model. Uh-huh. That maybe maybe used to work in the fifties and the sixties, and but now it's it's more of a if people are going to trust you and really give you their best, they really expect to know you and and they want to know the information that you can share, and so we've seen a lot of people kind of wake up and become less argumentative and become more curious to listen. What do you see in this, and what's what's your perception? and then also be willing to share their own perception. And so the word vulnerability has become uh, a big piece and transparency and things like that. And just this belief that together we truly can do things much better than if we are individually holding our cards very close to our chest mm. and trying to trying to play the game that way. So I actually created a, a, a card game where hopefully I can describe this quickly and effectively. If not, you can wipe this out. <laughs> but it's, it's five people at a table, and, they, and the, the table that has someone get a royal flush first wins. And so I'm not sure that you or your listeners understand what a royal flush is, but five, you know, a jack, king, queen, ace, uh, I guess it's a ten jack, king, king queen, ace, in one suit. and so we kind of give them those rules and it starts so start playing and eventually someone says you know what if we show each other our cards we can see who's closest to getting it we can start feeding that person the cards from our hand 
and our table will have someone get a royal flush first compared to the other tables. And so it really is a method to show if you're willing to share what's in your hand as a group, you will outperform everybody else. But if you continue to hold your information close to your chest, then you'll be just like everybody else. And then you're just counting on luck <laughs> to figure out which, mm-hmm. you know, to hope, to hope to be the table. So if that confuses you, Susie, just wipe it out. <laughs> no, it's perfect. It makes that. a lot of sense because that was my next yeah. question was going to be. So we, you know, we see you see people's eyes open. You know, and some people come in with the never let let them see you sweat. And, oh, I'm not going to be, I can't be vulnerable. I can't, you know, really show I care and all those things that, that many of us have old beliefs about. And I was going to ask you, how do you help people see? And that's one of the activities is the card game is a, yeah. just a, an, a real life example of sharing. Yes. What other things then, uh, do you talk well, about? Well, coaching really is probably the next potent thing that we start to ask those questions. Uh, you know, they, they someone may have grown up with a pattern of not sharing information with another department or whatever, or not sharing some of their budget when when they don't need it with another department, and and they just might not ever think about that you would ever do that. So in coaching, you can ask them what would happen if because you have an extra. $15,000 in your budget and they're struggling over there, what would happen if you offered that up to them and let them explore it? And their eyes can be opened. It's like, you know what? I think good stuff would happen. Even though their paradigm may have been because they learned it long ago, maybe that it's like, no, never, never share information unless you have to. And you start to get them to say, what would happen if you did share? And they start to realize that our company would be better. I'd I'd be fine. In fact, there's a really cool feeling. If it truly is better to give than receive, as you know, many of us have heard. Mm-hmm. Turns out you start giving, and life's pretty good. I personally have a belief that says it's almost impossible to give more than you receive because each time you try to give, um, somehow you receive something really good in return, mm-hmm. and and it's not it's not always you know, cause and effect exactly. But givers in this life have received amazing lives. Mm. Yes, yes. And if somebody's sitting there thinking, well, I've been a giver, but I've gotten taken advantage of, what do you say? Yeah, well, there are times when, so again, here's the engineer coming out. Statistically, I believe that you cannot outgive. But individually, there is times you will. But statistically, I just really believe, and I, I think I first heard, maybe it was Dennis Waitley or Ken Blanchard or someone way back when sharing that they thought that it's impossible to outgive, that the more you give, the more you get probably double in return. But it's not, it's not in the same economy. So if I give you a $1,000 gift just out of generosity, it doesn't mean you're going to give me $2,000. But right. something happens in my life, and it might not even come from you, but when that's my spirit, you just get overwhelmed by how, by how good your life is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah. so anyway, we, we in coaching sessions try to help them explore what might happen if you try it a different way. And I know you do this in your coaching. And people often come to the conclusion it's worth giving it a try, and then they discover 
wow, when I'm more open with my information or whatever the things may be, right. um, we get better. And when we are better, each one of us individually is also better. Mm, that's awesome. So what gets in the way of growing trust? What would you say? How would you summarize what gets in the way? Some of it's bad old beliefs about withholding. What else gets in the way? Being busy. Well, yeah, being busy is, is a biggie. But I, I would say the number one thing is fear. Mm. That when I don't, when I don't believe that being vulnerable is is going to um, work well, I'm going to get burned. And again, maybe I will get burned. But statistically. I just don't believe that's the case, but uh, it's it's fear. So what if this happens and what if this happens? And so one of, one of the things I'm working on in my own life and also in, in our coaching and in our teaching is that um, if you can get over being afraid or if you can become less fearful, you'll be amazed at the good things that you can do mm-hmm. and the good things you can accomplish. And so I'm a, I'm a, kind of deep thinker, not necessarily a good thinker, but but I think <laughs> deeply about things and some of them probably end up being crazy. But faith is a really big piece of my life. And the more I believe that there's a, a good and loving God that has me, the less I fear. Mm. And so I've I've really come to believe that fear is the opposite of faith. And so let's talk about public speaking, one of the great fears in many leaders' lives or at least uh, people that are becoming leaders, they really fear public speaking. Uh, But once you've done it a few times and you actually do fail, but somehow you survive (laughs) and somehow you keep moving forward, pretty soon that fear starts to diminish. And I start to believe in myself, in my ability to be on a podcast or stand on a stage or whatever the thing may be. And I have less fear when I have more faith in whatever the thing is. And so for me, the greatest faith is, do I believe that there's a loving being that kind of has me? Um, uh, That just really helps. Uh, But it can also be faith about a specific thing, faith in a person, faith in a, in my ability to, to be on this call and not have all the right answers and even probably mess up. And it's like, okay, but I'll be fine. And yeah. so to me, yeah. getting rid of fear can really help grow trust. Yeah. Because it's usually fear that's keeping me from being transparent with you. And people uh-huh. can feel if you're not being real with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, you know, faith and fear. I love to tie that together. And the key is when we have a situation that is hard for us so we fail on the stage or whatever <laughs> or we think we failed and we didn't really but we're beating ourselves up all of that is the key that I heard out of all of that is you keep moving forward keep trying yeah so I, I see so, so many there, people so stop you know they stop yes. because they, yep. they're, they're they crippled paralyzed. you know and it's a fear you know and it could be about uh many things but they just stop and then they hunker down and then but this the keep moving forward and having somebody that loves them on this earth as well as their faith and can point the light that that's that activate greatness looking looking for their good and you shine the light exactly yeah. right now now there's a there's a bridge between when when I'm fearful and I don't have faith yet, because you can't fake faith. No. 
No, you can try right. to have faith, but you can't fake it. And so there's a bridge that when I am fearful, um, but I but I do need to move forward, and that bridge is courage. Mm. And so when I act in the face of my fear, that's courage. That's courageous. And leadership, if if I had ultimate faith, <laughs> then I wouldn't need any courage. But the reality right. is. The first time I get up on that stage, uh, I'm really afraid. So now it takes courage. But courage will grow my faith. And the the stronger my faith and my belief, and you could say belief too, my belief in myself, belief in my ability to do public speaking or whatever that scary thing may be. Right. Um, belief Belief that I can handle this argument with my wife without us splitting up. Uh, such that I can hang in there rather than just kind of distance myself from her or whatever. The the more I grow that, the less courage is required. But mm-hmm. until I have that belief, then I need courage. And that's where coaching mm-hmm. can just be so helpful to encourage people. Yeah, there we go. Courage. Yeah. 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 I love that. Love that. So talk a little bit about, we're talking about care, we're talking about checking in, we're talking about love, we're talking about trust, talking about vulnerability. Talk about performance issues and work poor work habits. Um, we have skill sets that we teach around that, and I think they're very effective when there is trust. Yeah. But sometimes people are just, uh, they see that as, okay, now now I take off my trust hat, I take off my be with you as a, a you know, as a caring leader, and now I have to have this tough discussion, and so I'm going to, you know, go at it. <laughs> Talk about that. How, can they, how do leaders do this thing where they support and challenge, and they maybe even do it in the same sentence? Um, Talk about how you help yeah. people grow that ability because it feels odd to care about and then really challenge all in the same but that is the mission how do you help people get there in their thinking and get there in their actions yeah so uh, we've created a model that uses i mean there's some great books out there about how to have these kinds of conversations so i i love the the book fierce conversations I also, I kind of like the book Crucial Conversations, but we have a lot of clients that love that book also. Mm -hmm. I'm reading one right now called Radical Candor, Mm -hmm. um, which is, it's it's all the same kind of thing. But about, I don't know, a dozen years ago or so, I created my own model. I like super simple. And for some people, that's really helpful. For others, they want more, they want more detailed approach, in which case these books would be better for you. But uh, what what I call the model that that I created with some help with uh, people and and authors like Stephen Covey, uh, I call mine leaning into healthy conflict, mm-hmm. and and I wanted to call it leaning in because most of us either dive in <laughs> with a two yeah. by, with a two by four swinging, <laughs> yeah, um, or or we lean away, and so what uh... we're trying to model ourselves and teach others is how do you lean in. And I would say probably 80% of people are avoiders and 20% 20 of people dive in and, you know, with fists (laughs) clenched and ready to get at it. And they, and they're kind of toxic. And so our approach is to take 30 seconds to, to put the issue out on the table and that's hard and it takes courage, but then seek to understand. And this is where I've stolen shamelessly from Stephen Covey seek to really understand their perspective on what I just shared. 
And it's an act of love. It's a huge act of love to put it on the table, whatever the issue, the potential issue may be, and then seek to fully understand them. In fact, we like to take it even beyond seeking to understand to say, seek for them to feel understood. Mm. And so sometimes I can understand in the first 30 seconds, mm. but they won't feel that yet. And so I need to keep listening and keep asking questions and keep um, rephrasing. So what I'm hearing is you see it this way, you see it this way. And that might be opposite of what I put on the table. And by, by the way, it might also be the opposite of what I believe. And what, but, but right, right now, it's not about me sharing. It's about me seeking to un understand in such a way that they feel understood. Yeah. Now, the next step is really important. And this comes from Covey also. But when you listen incredibly well to someone to where they feel understood, they'll just assume you agree with them. Mm -hmm. And so you have to <laughs> seek to be understood then at that point. So Covey's, you know, mm -hmm. uh, thing from Seven Habits is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And yeah. so you have to, after listening so well to them and seeking to understand them so well, you have to show up and say, here's how I see it. And that may be, it's like, you've really helped me see your perspective and I think you're right on. I was, I was, uh, I was mistaken when I put the issue on the table. Now I see it wasn't your fault at all, or it's not your problem at all. It's actually my problem, or there is no problem, or whatever. Yeah. But sometimes yeah. it can be, I understand how you see it. And I, I think I even understand why you see it that way. I don't see it that way. I see it this way. And then hopefully they're in a space where they can listen a little, little bit, at least, to how I look at it. And then if they work for me, then we have to decide, so what will we do? How will we go forward? And again, we don't have to agree, but we do have to figure out how we're going to go forward. And if it's if it's not a big enough issue, you just say, OK, I'm glad it's in the open. We don't have to do anything. But if right. it is a big issue, we have to figure out how are we going to go forward? And so there's a there's a. Yeah. So how will we live type of thing? And then you must follow through the last piece of this process. It's really a mm -hmm. six step process is the last piece is you must follow through. If you came up with some kind of plan, like we're going to meet weekly or, you know, whatever, I'm going to kick you under the table to see if, if you're, you know, awake or whatever <laughs> the thing may be. Um, mm -hmm. You have to follow through on that. And so, mm -hmm. so yeah. I, I'm not sure if that answers your question, Susie, but that's, that's one thing. It does. It's about. great. Yes. Yes. I think it's great. And it is this idea of, of, you know, the leader has to, what you said earlier was about when things are unknown, people get fearful and we fill in the blanks. Yeah. Well, leaders do that too. So I don't know. I see you doing this thing or I assume you're doing this thing, but I don't know because I haven't checked in with you lately. And I'm assuming this. And so if you never have the conversation, it just escalates, <laughs> you know. Exactly. But if you put it out exactly. there, this is what I see. You know, and I, I like to think or say, you know, if you're going to share the problem, spend some time before you share the problem with your coach or with your manager to kind of define it in a way that's very objective and factual behaviors yeah. that you've seen. And, and it'll be less inflammatory, but it, it is yeah. the true issue. And that's sometimes the hardest part because you feel all these things and you're aggravated and whatever. It's like the hardest part is getting to that, you know, and then the second hardest part would be to really listen 
once you've shared, yeah. <laughs> right? Do Which you again is an incredible act of love. It's and and then and then after listening so well, then it's an incredible act of truth to say, here's how here's how I view it. Here's how I yeah. see it. So when when okay. we when we teach how to put the issue on the table, we we let people know it's like you might not even know what's true. All you know is what you're suspecting yeah. is true. Right. So we share. We want you to share your perspective or what you're perceiving. We want you to share an observation. Yeah. Uh, so that might, that might be factual. Hey, you've been 10 minutes late to our last three meetings or whatever. So Here's that's what observation. I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. But it, sometimes yeah. I don't have those facts. And so it's just like, I'm not sure if this is true or not, but it just, it feels like, or I'm perceiving this. Help there. me understand. Yeah, I like that. See that. Yeah. And so it leaves a lot of room for humility. There's, there are some exercises we do where, I don't know if you've ever done the count the number of Fs in the sentence. Uh-huh. Um, Tell, and, talk about and, that. And so, well, Google it sometime. It's incredibly powerful. But basically, there's a sentence out there. And, and if you read it first, I think, it's called, I think it says something like, finished files are the result of scientific study in this, the study of years or something like that. And when you read it to people, there's a phonetic F that's put in their mind. And so then we give them 10 seconds to look at that sentence and say, how many Fs are in there? Well, it turns out there's three phonetic Fs, but there's three ofs, the word of. And their brain can't see those three Fs. And so we, it's a no talking exercise. We have people raise hands and say, how many Fs did you see? And, you know, most people just see three. And there might be one person that sees six. There are six in the sentence. Said, wow, that's really interesting because it's just a very objective thing. Let's try it again. So we give them another 10 seconds. It's no talking. No one's allowed to say anything. Then show our hands again. We give them a third chance. And there's there usually half of the people can't see the six Fs, even though they're staring them right in the face. And so... We, sh- we teach that to them to show, to hopefully show them, uh, by the way, I could make a lot of money by betting. I'll bet you there's six and they'll go, no, it's only three. I'll bet you a hundred bucks there's six. No, there's only three. Yeah. Because, <laughs> because they're so confident. And then we yeah. show them the, the ofs and they're like, oh my goodness. And so we teach that to show them how blind we can be to mm-hmm. things. And, and, Counting F's is so much more objective and easy, and yet you were blind to that. Imagine how, mm. like, Fox News looks at, <laughs> at a speech and CNN looks at a speech, and they see completely different things, and that's because we are blind. And, and so that humility, hopefully, then, is a part of how you lean into these conflicts. Mm. You say, I'm seeing three F's. Help me understand what you see. <laughs> And so just understanding how blind any person can be helps, helps to have the humility then to put the issue on the table, knowing I don't have to be right. I just have to share what, I, what I'm perceiving. Mm-hmm. And then, then it opens the process. And again, it's very loving. It builds very trusting relationships. So I hope that's helpful. I love that. Talk about five fingers of trust. You, you and I emailed each other and you said, oh, yeah, we talk about trust a lot. There's five fingers of trust. And I'm like, ooh, share, share, share. Yeah. So what happens with uh, a recovering engineer, at least this one, is 
things work on me. I don't, I don't even intentionally work on them, but I've been working on this trust thing for a long, long time. And I learned from a leader once that he said, well, competence uh, is certainly a big piece of trust and obviously character. If someone's character, you know, if they're going to lie, cheat and steal, you're, you're not going to trust them. If they have ulterior motives, you're, you can just feel it and you're not going to trust them. But their competence is another aspect of trust. And that just really got me thinking. And before Stephen uh, Covey, uh, uh, the younger Stephen Covey, wrote a book called Speed of Trust. Speed of Trust. Yeah. I had, yes, which is, a, which is a, a pretty nice book, too. But I had developed something called The Five Fingers of Trust because in analyzing, I, I, I came up with five things that I think relate to trust. And so here, here they are in the order of importance, in my opinion. Character uh, is huge. And if I can't trust someone's character... We need to have a lot of these conversations <laughs> leaning into healthy conflict. But if we just can't get there, they need to be off my team. Or I've, I've taken myself off a team because I couldn't trust my boss or I couldn't trust the organization. It's like, you know what? I need to go right. elsewhere because I just can't trust that how, how they think we should live in the world doesn't align with how I think we should from a character standpoint. Second then is commitment. Uh, how committed are you to what we're doing and how committed are you to me? And obviously I need to be really committed to you as well. Third, third aspect is competence. I might totally trust your character and your commitment to doing surgery on me. But if, but if this is the first time you've done this surgery, it's going to be, uh, there's not a whole lot of trust in this quite yet. <laughs> right. And then a, a fourth one, which is really important is this communication we've been talking about. Are you, are you transparent with me? Uh, do we communicate a lot? If you don't, if we don't, if we don't connect enough, we're not, there's not going to, we're not going to grow trust. So communication is really important, how frequent it is and how transparent it is. And then the last one is the trickiest one to describe, but it's, but it's align. Uh, the word I like to use is alignment. Are we aligned on something? And I guess the best way that I could say this is I'm an old athlete, too. And so if we have a way that we're going to try to win the championship, and let's say it's really defensive-minded and it's really cautious, um, there are a lot of championships won that way. There's another way you can win championships, and that's by being really aggressive and not cautious and maybe more offensive. And a lot of championships are won that way. And so if you're more offensively aligned, but you're on our defensively aligned team, there's going to be a bit of an alignment issue. And so it's not that you're not a good person. It's not that you're not competent. It's, it's that you're not aligned. You don't, you don't see through the similar lens that we're trying to pull things together. Mm. And so the five fingers come in. I mean, when I teach this, uh, <laughs> I kind of hold up my middle finger <laughs> and people have a, a visceral reaction to that. And I say, <laughs> This this one for me represents lack of character. Uh, yeah. Oh. Um, and others would also say, well, it's the tallest finger also. And because character is the most important of these five, yeah. that we could choose the middle finger because it's the tallest. But <laughs> uh, I know from memory techniques that the more visceral something is, the more yeah. you're likely to remember it. And so 
Yes. Um, you and your you and your listeners may even remember that just by vis- envisioning my middle finger up. And so yeah, that's the one. Yep. That's the one that represents character or lack thereof. Now, commitment. Is there a finger that comes to mind that would represent commitment to you, Susie? Oh gosh, I don't know. Commitment. Oh, well, your ring finger. Yeah. So that's the second finger of trust is commitment. Are you committed? And so you can think of your ring finger, whether there's a ring on it or not. That's often right for for competence. I I often think of or the, the thinking is, again, the least competent finger. If you were to think of what's the least competent finger, is there one that comes to mind? Uh, pinky? Yeah, it's it's the weakest, it's the shortest. And so yeah. it's not a bad finger, but it's the least competent. And so that so competence yeah. is that finger. When you think about alignment, is there a finger that you would use when you talk about aligning? I don't know that one. Okay, so I oh, think of my index left. finger. For, yeah, there's yes. only a couple left. And so <laughs> yes, my, point, my, finger. My, my pointing my pointing finger. Oh, is, okay. You know, yep. if if we're supposed to go north, I can point with that finger. Yeah, but you want to oh, go west. Okay, there we go. No, 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 no. Yeah. And so that's for the alignment piece. Are we aligned? You keep trying to go west. I keep trying to go north. Yeah. And then, so what's left, of course, is the thumb, and the thumb right. is the only is the only digit that can touch all the other fingers. And so, oh, for me, that's sort of symbolic. How cool is that? Yes. And, and yeah. so, for me, those are the five fingers of trust, and What's really important is the five aspects, but the fingers might help people remember them. And you have to be careful teaching this because if someone walks by and you're teaching character, (laughs) they might see you flipping the bird and not understanding what you're doing. (laughs) Yes, yes, but it'll be memorable. (laughs) It'll be memorable. (laughs) It'll be memorable. so those we we go through those in in our own team and say how are we doing with this and and if there's a competence issue or a perceived competence issue we can put it on there and say I trust your character and your commitment and you're aligned with us and we communicate well but I'm not, I'm not sure that your coach in the way fits our brand or so we can talk about that and and that's what ultimately builds trust is those five aspects. And, and the ability to dive in to all of them. Mm. So you need. I'm seeing you putting this in a book. Yeah, maybe one day I will. Yeah, yeah. I haven't, and, and partly because if if I were to write a book, um, and I'd want it to be really good and really successful, it would go way outside of West Michigan, and that uh, would true. then create a bunch of that create a bunch of noise in my world because we truly are trying to focus on yes. doing something amazing in West Michigan, and then. Probably at that point, I would write my book when I'm 70, yeah. and yeah. then my team can decide if they want to go nationwide or international or whatever, but then the book would right. be a real asset. But right now, we had one of our uh, participants, our, our alumni, say his feedback. He said, you know what What the program is, is it's really Roger's book, um, but instead of reading it, he makes you live it. Yeah. And so that's kind of what we're that's doing way right better. now. So. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And that that when you and I reconnected, we've known each other years ago, but when we reconnected, I left that conversation feeling your alignment and your clarity and a sense of purpose. You're going to reach your goal. You're probably going to succeed it. But uh, I'm really excited. See it and feel it. Yeah, it's awesome. So 
who influenced you the most to be where you are today through moving through your engineering to your you, you became a, the head of leadership development organizational development in large companies and now your own business who who have been your key influencers in your career well there's just there's just so many i i could name a dozen quite easily but i'm not going to but it would start with um, my parents at a very early age on how how to be how do you show up in the world and and um we just uh i shared with you prior to this that uh, we just did our father's memorial service who was 93 and a half and several people came up to me afterward and said you know when they described your father and then we didn't know him that well but that's who you are and it's, it's just so yeah just what a blessing and just really touched my heart that that maybe i'm representing my dad pretty well and then i had a stepdad also who was an engineer and he really is so in my teens he had a big influence on my life and then there are some there are some leaders in an amazing company i worked at it no longer exists it got bought and then that company you know spun it off and all and so it really doesn't exist anymore but this company had amazing leaders and there's probably eight people there that modeled how to lead well and even taught how to lead well and that's it was at that time that I left the engineering side of things and got in the leader development world and it's partly because I was so drawn to what I was learning about leadership there and uh so yeah I've just had so many wonderful mentors and even to this day I still so I'm 60 almost 62 years old now but later this week I'm meeting with one of my mentors just to kind of kind of share oh. what's going on and and learn what's going on yeah. in his life and, And so and uh, my brother Ron, you know my brother Ron who's this amazing man has also been very influential on my life mm. and he's written several books and has is running a company called Price Associates which is very influential. And so mm. just very very blessed to have a lot of people. Uh, I I married my high school sweetheart who became a state representative and so she is an amazing leader in her own right and right now is leading literacy efforts for the state of Michigan and so she's been really influential for me as well. Mm, how about that? That's neat. So when you think about what these people did that created this lovely list of people, what are some of the traits or things that they did or actions? One of the things I'm guessing is two things I'm thinking is one they believed in you and two they modeled behavior that was admirable what else would you say or what would you say in addition to that or different from that about what they did that was most useful to you to be such a positive influence yeah so um i mean you really kind of covered it but but i'll i'll expand a little bit in the, in the modeling uh they were courageous they would they would do things and we'd say but how do we know this is going to work and they go we don't but we believe this is the right thing to do so let's do it and let's do it to the best of our abilities and then they would have that same view of me that so often people see us more clearly than we see ourselves and and so one quick way to make that point is um when the first time you've seen yourself on video or maybe the very first time you heard yourself yeah you know almost everybody says i I sound like that. 
And everyone around <laughs> you goes, uh, yeah, you sound exactly yeah. like that. You don't know that? And the reality is we don't see ourselves clearly at, at all. And so, so great leaders, uh, you know, will, they, they would see something in me, this engineer, and they would say, we think you need to go on stage and make this presentation. And you're the one that should do it. It's like, seriously? <laughs> and sure, sure enough, many years later, I look back and I can see in me what they saw, but then I couldn't. Uh, yeah, and so, yeah. so they, they, um, and they were also tough on me. They, they didn't accept excuses. They didn't accept um, me not being willing to at least look at what they see. Yeah. Uh, they had very high, very high expectations, um, but they were very tender-hearted. And so, yeah, those are some of the things that, that they would do for me. And, That's great. And, of course, there's other people that had very high expectations, but they, they were not tender-hearted. And so, for me, they didn't influence me that much. Um, mm. And then there was other people that were very tender-hearted, but did not have high expectations. And so, I love them, but they, I don't consider them as people that influence me in, in my own journey. Mm. They go together. Interesting. A young guy uh, was on the phone with someone who's getting his uh, PhD in organizational development. And he needed to interview a coach to do part of a report, or maybe he's just getting his master's. It wasn't PhD, so his master's. And he said at the end, he said, "How do you find mentors?" He said, "I don't really know anybody. I'm not sure how to find mentors." And I, hmm. my initial comment was, "They're everywhere." Yeah. You don't have yeah. to, it doesn't even have to be official. Just go look around and find people. And so yeah. then we started talking about that. And he's like, I never really thought about it that way. You're right. They are everywhere. I mean, I find yeah, most of my I admire and I stalk them. I mean, I read every book. Exactly. I go to every talk. They do. I don't really stalk them. But, you know, I just, I tune into what they're doing. I listen to their podcasts. I mean, it, that, they're my mentor sometimes. Maybe it's not, you, you don't have a family member or you don't have. But but there are mentors exactly. everywhere. There are people doing admirable things, and of course you want the closer connection if you can, so you so you can get the high expectations and the tender heartedness. Um, but that'll come. But absolutely, everywhere. and 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 I'll bet of of the dozen people that I would that I would claim as a mentor, I'll bet only four of them know that they're a mentor. <laughs> ah, that, see there go. Good point. Yeah, yeah. It's like. Because they modeled it, and and I would hang around them, and I would be near them, and they were shaping me without even knowing that they were shaping yeah. me. Um, yeah, I'm a tennis player, and I, it's it's the same thing in, on the tennis courts. Like, there's all kinds of people that have shaped my game. They have no clue that they shaped. Yeah, and not just not just the physical part of the game, but how do you mentally handle the the pressures of sport and things like that. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, go, go find people you respect and stalk them. I like that. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, is what I heard long ago, and I don't remember exact words, but it was, if you see something that you admire in someone, you probably own a piece of that. That's what yeah, you too. That's good. That's really you know? good. So you see that and it's like, oh, and, and sometimes you might even be thinking that's me and you don't even know you're thinking that. I mean, that spirit you know, that's your, your whole self or whatever you want to call it, saying, calling you towards something that is meaningful to you and is on purpose for you uh, in your life. So if you feel that interest, there's a reason. Follow yeah. it. And I would, and I'd say that's part of your design. There we you go. have to figure yeah. out what your unique design is. And then, and so for one, for one person, 
Charlie is an amazing mentor. And for another person, it's like, Charlie would never, I don't, I don't respect Charlie. It's like, well, it's because you have a different <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Because of our individual design and uh, way. That's awesome. So when you think of the word successful, who's the first person that comes to mind? Um, so I can't come up with a person um, because success would really be defined by them. Um, but I, I'd say anybody that has really come to be really comfortable in their own skin. And so this could be someone like my father who never really made much money at all. But to hear his memorial service a few days ago, it's like, wow, that's clearly success. All the way to someone who has figured out how to come up with really innovative ideas and invest in people such that they make, you know, a billion dollars. That's also successful. And so I, I guess I'd basically just say people that they're toward, you know, toward the end of their life. Certainly my brother Ron is one that comes to mind that, that he's not toward the end of his life, hopefully. He's only 65, but he's figured out who he is and he's lived into it the best to his ability. And so I would say there's, there's, there are names of people that I could name like that, but success looks so different for different people. But ultimately, it's are they, did they did they figure out who they are and be intentional about trying to get the most out of who they are mm. for the good of this world? I love that. Love, love, love that. Figure out who you are and uh, live into it. Yeah, yeah. World. that's awesome. With, with courage and then ultimately with faith. That, yeah, because yeah. the courage will lead you to it, having belief in yourself and belief in the things that will be important to you. So here, here's fun questions. Okay. <laughs> Just to get to know you in a different way. What's your guilty pleasure TV show? Well, my wife would tell you that I, I watch way too much TV. And um, <laughs> so that I, that's a long list. <laughs> but I love sports. I love sport because it's the ultimate reality show, that there's no faking competence. There's no faking confidence. And so that could also be uh, performance arts that when you get up to dance and uh, or like American Idol, there's no faking it. You're either going to be good or you're not. And I love people that put themselves on the line like that. So, so much of what I watch is along the lines of that kind of real life drama. So sport or yeah. American Idol or things like that. So kind of second uh, guilty pleasure is... I'm just a really curious um, person that if I were more of a reader, I would be a voracious reader of learning, learning, learning. But it turns out there's a bunch of stuff on TV that's also great for learning. And so I, I love learning about crazy stuff like quantum physics and theology and the history of certain things. I'm really intrigued by early man. And, and so archaeology and stuff like that. So I watch a lot of those. And then third would probably be comedies. And right now, probably reruns of The Big Bang Theory. Is, is, yeah, uh, aren't they funny? Guilty pleasures. <laughs> they, it's, it's just so funny. It's just so funny. Yes, so, they so, are Those funny. would be my kind of three avenues of guilty pleasures TV watching. I and like I also it. believe, I like and I, I, I might believe what I'm about to share with you because it makes me feel better, but I also believe it's really important to recharge your batteries. And and so there's sort of not a guiltiness in this pleasure because for me, for whatever reason, that just it just feels like I get recharged for the next day. 
when I can spend time at night and just kind of laugh or learn or be passive and be fed. And so, but I'm probably fooling myself (laughs) to to try to justify. (laughs) I'm going to change that question really because it's not about a guilty pleasure. It's what what do you do to recharge? Basically, is really it, you know. And so, um, because I I'm I'm with you, and a lot of times I will read books um, like mysteries that are, and I have certain characters that I like, and I always feel better after I do that. And it's just like, I, I learn so much during the day, and I'm all the time thinking, and that, that forces me to not think, and I'm recharged. Yeah. So we all have our own, you know, like what you say, we have our own design, and we have our own things that recharge us, and they're different, and we need to honor them as opposed to saying guilty. So I am actually going to change that question now that we've said that. Because well, <laughs> it is a little about bit guilty, guilt it's about it. what what helps you feel better? What what recharge? But if I could, if I could recharge by walking or hiking, that pro- that maybe would be a healthier form of recharge. So I'll probably carry a little bit of the guilt thing still. <laughs> but, but it is <laughs> okay, a way. It is a way that I. <laughs> you can. Yeah. But sometimes so, it's anyways, just good to just watch it is, stuff. Or, it is. You know, yeah. I like all the mystery shows and that type of thing, and it's just fun. And so it's like I just trust that it feels good in the moment, and it's like, okay, good, I'll get back to my stuff later. So, yeah. So yeah. what's your favorite position? Uh, well, I was going to say something about there's a there's a book I read recently called Peak Performance. And mm-hmm. and it it's it's talking about how to be the best you you can be. And they use they use athletes, world class athletes as a model. And, and what they tell them is that you have to work your butt off. You have to work to failure and then you must recover. And that a bunch of athletes, they really struggle with the recovery. Like you might need to take a day off or have a light day and they're just so into it that they just keep going hard, 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 and they are not able to achieve world-class status. And it's Mm -hmm. because they can't not work. And so this, this, that book helped me with this idea of recovering also. And so um, workaholics, you know, this book is saying, you think you're, you think you're getting the most out of yourself because you work constantly, but the science would suggest that you need these you need these margins in your life so that you can recover to then go push yourself to the max again. Uh, so anyway, a little bit more. I love on that. that. I love that. And you know, I feel like my uh, business. I know. I don't just feel. I know for a fact for my engineer friend here <laughs> that everything <laughs> got better in my business when I started, and I call it embracing happiness. You know, yeah. embracing because I'm just so passionate about what I do that I just wear myself out, you know, then I'm not effective at all, you know, and it's like, okay, so embrace, embrace happiness, embrace uh, your own well-being, put that first, you know, your yeah. own health, your own, uh, how you look, how you feel, uh, your energy, what interests you, you put all that first, and the funny thing is, well, man, that I did that. Um, things were good, but things got great. You know, yeah, that's great. My enjoyment and feeling successful, you know, or feeling satisfied um, in the work, you know, and having bigger impact and all that. So I, that's I a great that. lesson. That's really good. Yeah. yeah, it is a great lesson. It is a great lesson. But for our hard, hard chargers, or if you're really passionate about something, it's a hard lesson. <laughs> the, in in yeah, this book, again, they it? said that the hardest work for these workaholics was to not work. <laughs> they said it was the hardest thing of that to become better 
to take a day off or to, you know, to watch TV for an hour or whatever the thing might be or, or three hours or whatever. So that was the hardest part for them. But they, like you just said, they grew, they got better. And uh, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So, it, you know, what it is too is if you're working like that feverishly, there's an energy with that it, that is a bit about shortage. So if I don't keep pushing, it's all going to go away. But if you can, you know, take the break, it's almost, you're, you're not bringing resistance to everything you do. Um, right. So it's a fear. You talked about earlier, your fear. Yeah. You know, fear yep. that if I don't keep doing this, it's not going to work. And that's, you're kind of bringing that to the game. So interesting. So what is your favorite possession? Uh, I would say our house. We we just have a house that we really love and a place that we really love. And and we feel uh, like we were very blessed to receive it. And so I would I would say that if I had to give up stuff, and, and I think it's important that we're all willing to give up anything other than our relationships, that the, the toughest thing to give up would be our house. And, and uh mm. All that, all that's part of it. The, the, I mean, it's right near, it's right near Lake Michigan, so we can go walk on the beach anytime we want. It's got a really cool fire pit out back, so, which is kind of back in the woods, and so it's just so rich. This, what this house offers us. So that would be the only possession I think that would be hard to let go of if, if, if I needed to let go of some possessions. Sounds like an amazing home, and and it's amazing because it feels so much like home, but it's got a lot of cool stuff too, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, what advice would you give your twenty five year old self? So, my greatest failure to this point is I have no great failures. Uh, so I'll say that again. My greatest failure is I have no great failures. I've been way too cautious all my life. And I waited way too long to courageously start a business and figure out why I'm here and lean into it with, with the willingness that if it doesn't work, at least I gave it a shot. And so even this thus far has gone really well, <laughs> but I at least took that big step. But I would tell my 25-year-old self, be willing to fail because that's where you're going to really grow the most. And that's where you'll really discover more about what you're meant to be doing. And so failure is not bad. It's it's the best learning tool that you can have. So that's what I would tell my 25-year-old self. And he would probably look at me and said, you're an old man. What do you know? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was an arrogant 25-year-old engineer. You never know. <laughs> he, might, he might listen. You never know. But we yeah, engineers, you're pretty you know, convincing. We you're pretty convincing because <laughs> it's so heartfelt. So I'm thinking yeah. it might work. Yeah. I I would have I would like to have think so, but anyway. Yes, if you could have one billboard anywhere, what would it be, and I, where would it be, and what would it say? Hmm. Well, I'd probably use it for this mission that we're on here in West Michigan, and it would have something to do with. Um, do you know your design, and are you living? Do into you know your design? Your design? Yeah, and. Now, I'd have to figure out how to word it to where people have a clue of what I'm even talking about. But it's this idea that each one of us is so amazing. Each one of us is so unique. And do you know that? Do you know who you are? And are you living into that fully? And so I'd have to figure out some fun way to communicate that. But it would be something like that. And then there would be our website, right? Yeah. LeadingBD.com. So. Awesome. Love it. So we're going to close. What's one 
uh, last bit of advice or wisdom or key piece of advice or wisdom that you want every leader to take away uh, from this discussion mm. about growing trust? Um, well, first, before I answer that question, I want to just say what, what an incredible joy it was to, to be on this. And I'd love to ask you each of these questions yourself. <laughs> Maybe off the air. <laughs> okay, well, we'll do that. Let's do that. <laughs> these, these are, these are gr great questions, and I'd love to hear how you answer them. Uh, but I, you I guess great the one, answers. So there you go. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I guess the piece of wisdom I would give to people would be take some risk. Uh, being willing to give when you might not receive. In fact, you they might not even receive it well at all, but still being willing to take that risk for the for the good of someone else. And what you'll find is your life ends up being so <laughs> rich. Even though that wasn't the intention, the intention was to give your life away and you'll just be amazed at what is given back to you. That would be the word of wisdom. I love it. Love it, love it, love it. That's the truth. Talking about engineering and bringing truth and looking for truth, that feels so awesome and is a key capital T truth. Well, thank you. Thank you. What a pleasure it's been to talk with you, Susie. Oh, I hope, it's been uh, my joy, too. I hope if this, if this makes the cut that uh, people are blessed by our conversation. Yeah, I think they will be. What's the best way to reach you? You mentioned your website. Say that again. We'll put it in the show notes. But what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, probably just through my website, which is, uh, and there's contact information there. So it's okay. Leading BD, which stands for Leading by Design. So leadingbd.com. Awesome. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So I hope you enjoyed that interview with Roger. It was an enjoyable experience to spend time with him. I love uh, his message and their mission of leading 1,000 leaders from Western Michigan through his year-long process. So I love the clarity of what he's doing. And a couple of other things, there's so many good things that he talked about, but a couple of things that really stood out that I'm going to mention that we didn't mention near the end as much as I just want to restate them is the idea that we all have choice. So we all have choice if we're overwhelmed or overstressed. In the moment when you're overwhelmed or overstressed, you don't know that you have choice. But when things calm down, I want you to remember the thought that I have a choice, that it does not have to be this way. There is no valor in being overwhelmed or overextended. And in fact, it's a hindrance to your life and work as a leader. And his reminder about create margin for yourself. Give yourself some white space in your day. It won't happen overnight. Um, we actually have an episode on overwhelm. So I'll make a note to add that into the show notes so you can go check that out. But it talks a little bit about some tools or ideas around starting to create more margin in your life. I also enjoyed so many things, but the what he talked about about when you're successful 
what he feels like is is when people are comfortable in their own skin. And so that's that is powerful and meaningful to me. And that is something that we can help people do as we work to grow trust as leaders and we're in people's lives to influence positively. And that is sowing seeds of confidence as opposed to sowing seeds of doubt. Doesn't mean you're not honest and straightforward, but it means you do things in a way that you help others learn to be comfortable in their own skin and comfortable in their strengths. And lastly, I love that he shared, you know, give your life away. Give when you when you don't even know that you're going to receive. And he's such a model of that in that at the end, we it didn't get recorded, but he said at the end to me how much he enjoyed the podcast, which I appreciated his participation and his thoughts. But he said, let me interview you. So we actually, he said, let me schedule the schedule time right now. So in December, he and I are going to have another conversation and he's going to interview me on some of these same questions. And so we're so aligned. Uh, I might say it differently and have a different set of tools, but so much of what I'm going to share is going to be similar to him. But I know that it'll be an enjoyable episode and podcast. So look for that in the future. Another another discussion with Roger Price. Meanwhile, have an awesome day. The next episode, episode number 50, is going to be about evaluating job fit, and it's going to be about, we're going to talk to Jack Patterson, who is a human resource executive, and he's going to talk a little bit about his leadership life and journey, and we're going to talk about evaluating job fit and things to look for and do, because um, that is a, the fourth Wake Up Beer habit. So thank you for listening. And if I can be of service to you in any way, please reach out to me, pricelessprofessional.com forward slash Susie, S-U-Z-I-E. I do do and I'm open to having a, a complimentary consultation or conversation or just give me a shout, shoot me an email, any bit of feedback you have or questions, be happy to help. Go have an awesome day. We'll talk again soon. Take care. This episode of the Wake Up Eager Workforce Podcast was brought to you by Priceless Professional Development. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's show, head over to pricelessprofessional.com to gain access to more professional development resources. 